to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I'm catching up with Duet. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No worries. So, um, you've got like a rich history in uh, Melbourne graffiti from you know the late 80s and 90s and all that. And I know I wanted to uh, speak to you about sort of what you've seen and what you've done. Yep. It's sort of different to what's happening in uh, this day and age. And... Um, you know, the 90s are making a big comeback style-wise. Right. I think, you think, uh, I think a, a few people could really uh, learn from what, you, what you've seen and experienced. Okay. Yeah, cool. So um, so you started painting graffiti uh, in 1984. Like, uh, what was your life like then and, and how did you get into it? Well, uh, as some people may know, I grew up out on the Hurstbridge, the famous, now famous Hurstbridge line, I guess. Um out in a place called Montmorency, which back then was really a bogan backwater, I suppose you would call it. Uh, there was nothing happening in Montmorency apart from football and bogans. That's really the you know the sum total of what was available to you. And I didn't like football and I disliked bogans even more because they used to spend their time running around beating the shit out of us because we weren't bogans, because we weren't into ACDC and heavy metal and the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, so around about uh, 1983, the first commercial hip-hop film, if you like, came out, which was Breakdance, which was a, a, a film about more about kind of, I guess, a corny film about breaking that came out of Los Angeles with Ice-T in it. And uh, Turbo and Ozone, you know, who were two kind of, uh, you know, breakers from from LA. Uh, But I think the the great thing about that was it kind of, you know, demonstrated, um, you know, it it, it, it kind of, it, it, it's, it's kind of presented the, the, the hip hop culture to a certain extent and what it was about. And I guess, although a lot of the film was pretty corny, you know, with Turbo and Ozone and Kelly in it doing their kind of semi kind of whack kind of breaking and, you know, um, more kind of weird, I don't know, some kind of ballroom dancing or, or, or whatever it was they were doing. Um, but you, but but I think like a lot of these films, you picked the cool stuff. You took the cool bits out of it. Like there was the Radiotron in it, which was uh, the first kind of LA hip hop club, uh, which had all this really cool graph in it. And Ice-T, of course, on the stage with his, you know, Scott Ski goggles. Uh, you had the... Um, the Glove, who was like the famous uh, DJ, um, you know, who was up there, you know, on the turntables. And The Glove also produced, there was a song called Reckless, which was a really amazing, and I still listen to it and, and still love it to this day, uh, called Reckless. And The Glove produced that. It was like a 808, you know, uh, really 808 bass drum heavy kind of track. Um, with sick cuts and crazy kind of claps. I think maybe maybe the claps might have even been from a Boss Doctor Rhythm or something, but they had that that really, you know, it was like that really succinct kind of electro style. So, yeah, so that, you know, um, and, you know, they had a couple of battles in it with electro rock, you know, who were, who were kind of like the bad guys, you know, in the film, and, and that was kind of cool. And, of course, the other part of that film was, uh, you know, people... Listening to this that were around then would always know that, you know, Turbo was the cool guy. He did the cool moves. Ozone was kind of whack, you know. So 
the famous, one of the most famous scenes in the film was when Turbo gets sent out the front of the shop to sweep and he goes out and he's doing the thing with the broom. And that was, I think, one of the first times, you know, the track that is played then, which you, which you would kind of say is one of the g- genesis tracks of Electro was, was by Kraftwerk, which was a Tour de France, right? So, you know, there was a lot of elements in that film that, you know, exposed, you know, young people, you know, on other sides of the world that had never heard this stuff before, um, you know, to this culture. So, yeah, I guess that was our first exposure to it. And I still remember when we went and saw it at Greensboro Theatre, uh, I think it was Wisp did like a piece for the film. And that just was just blew us away. I was like, this is amazing, you know. So it was either Wisp or it was another guy called Luke Hewitt who used to do pieces around Greensboro, but I can't quite remember because mm. it was so long ago, of course. So, yeah, so that was that was the first exposure to it. Um and I think after that came out, you started really seeing a lot of, uh, you know, like we started like going around to the local shopping center, you know, breaking and stuff like that. And then you started actually seeing like pieces coming on trains like Wild Style, which was uh, a pretty famous uh, piece on our line, which kind of looked like the Wild Style piece, which was done by Zephyr uh, in New York. Um, and then you had like a whole lot of other guys kind of started coming up like, uh, another famous dude, LT lock. I still remember seeing like LT lock, uh, pieces on trains coming out our way. And then of course, people like, uh, um, people like Bazer, who was a famous like guy who did like downtown express piece, um, you know, I can't remember, Zulu piece, but they were on like the Epping line and the Upfield line. So he was a, he was also a pretty famous figure, but there were a lot of, you know, a lot of different people kind of coming out around that time. Street Rock, again, you know, if you're from Hurstbridge, you know that was a massive piece in Clifton Hill under the under the train bridge there. Um, so yeah, there was a lot going on. Then, and, But then of course, you know, 1984 came around and then Beat Street came out and I don't think there's really any... Uh, you know, person from that era that wasn't, you know, that was really what drove things home because this wasn't Los Angeles cornball shit anymore. This was like the real deal. New York, you know, um, you know, you were seeing like, you know, what New York was and, and people like myself and the people I grew up with, we'd never seen anything like that. You've got this, you know, New York back then was like a burnt out economically uh, dying city full of crime, lawless, um, all the trains were bombed, you know, people were breaking, they were having, you know, big jams in parks with DJs and stuff like that. So that was kind of the start of it. And I remember, you know, another corny thing, my, well, actually my, the other thing I guess I should mention is Rocksteady Crew came out here, I think it was 84, but I can't remember. And they were on Countdown, which you, <laughs> yeah, which, Countdown. Yeah, which, which you may or may not have seen that. And they had a battle with, I think the probably the most, one of the most famous Breaking crews at the time, which was energy transfer. So they had a breakdance battle on Countdown. What were that Aussies, the energy transfer? Or? Yeah, they were, I think they were like mostly like kind of, well, you know, wog dudes from like, you know, I can't remember where other people would know better than I, I, I yeah. do, you know, but, you know, they were the, they were like the famous breaking crew, you yeah. know. So anyway, uh, I begged my mum to let me go and see Rocksteady, who were at the Melbourne Entertainment Center in the city near the Yarra. I don't think it's there. and I'm sure it's not there anymore. I think it's that kind of football park yeah. or something now. 
And baby, my mum said you can go, but the babysitter's taking you. So I think I was 13 or 14 or something. The babysitter took me to that, and that was quite um, quite extraordinary. And then we decided to start a crew up at primary school. Actually, I was in grade six, called the Rocksteady Juniors. So all of us, which is just so lame. It's just <laughs> <laughs> hey, you and your kids, though. You know that's, that's true. So. So, you know, I was like Junior Kuriaki and someone was Junior Buck Four and, you know, like kind of like that. So we used to, and again, you know, going back to the thing around our area, all the kids were into like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I just didn't understand that. I just, I, and, and, and it's, this shit is still going today. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's fucking whack. You know, it's like this stupid, you know, like I just didn't understand. I did not get that, you know, yeah. even when, when Kiss came out, which was also the, uh, the same year. At least Kiss was kind of cool. You know, you had the Kiss show bags at the show and, you know, the face painting and some of the kids in school were into Kiss. Like, you know, I didn't really understand their music, but I thought the the idea of Kiss was cool. Mm. So anyway, at the end of the year in, in grade six at Montmorency Primary, we had like a break dance kind of, you know, thing. Um, and then, of course... Um, and then, of course, after that, I went to, as I was saying to you before, I went uh, and did my first year of high school at the notorious Watsonia Technical School, which was just an absolute fucking bogan madhouse. Bogan paradise. It, well, yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and as I was saying to you before, you know, that this was, again, a time in Melbourne where things were not gentrified, you know, um, I think even our school system to a certain extent and the social infrastructure was kind of, you know, worn out. And, you know, um, a lot of the industry was starting to wrap up as well as it, as it did in many other capital cities around the world or was wrapping up. And, you know, at What's Only A Tech, uh, again, that was a place full of bogans. Um, and as I was saying to you before, you know, one of the wings of the buildings got burnt down by the kids because they were all nuts. A kid overdosed on glue and died on the oval and Bogans used to sit there at lunchtime with razors cutting their arms because it was cool. So, <laughs> so you know, not, not really the, the nicest environment to be growing up in. However, at Watsonia Tech, there, were, there was a very influential uh, person called Grant Sinfield who used to go there. Uh, also known as Cine, who was like one of the, the, the main like writers around our area at that time and someone who was very um, influential upon us. He used to do windmills and shit in the, in the corridors. And, you know, he was a famous breaker. He was in a crew called Ground Control, which was a famous break crew around our area. Um, and another guy called Mandu, who I guess was a little Fijian guy or something. He was a sick breaker too. Mm. So I only stayed there for a year because I realized I hated technical subjects. I didn't want to do woodwork. I couldn't stand it. So I went and migrated over to Watsonia High, which was a stone's throw from Watsonia Tech. And one of the reasons I went to Watsonia High was another famous writer, not really that famous in terms of the graph scene, but a famous figure was a guy called Rick Munro, who was the original Cruise with a K-R-U-Z-E-182. And he was from Cheltenham. And he was in the Supreme Artist crew, which Cine and the other guys, Sadie, Smash, uh, I can't remember who else was in it, but they were a famous crew, um, you know, around that area. So Rick Munro, um, he really showed me stuff I'd never seen. Like my the first kind of real um, 
I guess, electronic music that I'd ever seen. He brought me a tape to school called Zuluk by Jean-Michel Jarre. And that just absolutely blew me away. It was like, I'd never heard anything like that in my life. It was just extraordinary. Uh, and he used to do outlines. He did the most amazing outlines. He had this crazy style. And he was connected to all of these guys like Prime and Jive and Ransom. And he was the first person to take me to the city took me to the city square to the graffiti board where just that so happened that afternoon prime in his classic israeli army jacket full of pop mate markers in the pockets and bags of bunk lack uh and was just even then like a fucking crazy dude and i remember jive rocked up and he just smashed jive's head in right there on the spot so this was like welcome to the graffiti scene you know like <laughs> it was like this is crazy so uh, and he also took me up to Collector's Corner, I think it was back then, which was actually right up the top of Swanson Street near the corner of uh, Little Little Lonsdale. Was that the double story one? Like, was sort of like yeah, the yeah. mezzanine level and all that? Uh, well, there was one that was that was that was on Swanson, but down closer to the corner of Lonsdale. Yeah. But this was another one that was up near. Um, but yeah, I think it yeah, was, it was double like the story. real big one. Like, yeah, mm, I, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the point is that he showed me records like Schooly D, Saturday Night, you know, which I bought them. And, you know, again, after that, it was like, well, this it was just all happening, you yeah. know. So, yeah, that's that's quintessentially, uh, I mean, I could talk forever about all of that stuff, but that's quintessentially was my introduction. Yeah. Jeez. That was a big answer to the first <laughs> question. Might have to trim some down. <laughs> So when did you actually get out and do your first piece? Okay, so, well, the first piece was actually, again, was underneath the, there was a famous, well, in our neighborhood, a famous train bridge called the Power Road Train Bridge in Montmorency. Um, and uh, I think it was my birthday or something. I, I'm pretty sure it was. And we went out and racked all this duplicolor from somewhere. And... Um, and uh, had all this paint. And, that's right, no, it was my birthday. And Rick was at my house and, you know, I think Sydney was there, I can't remember. But we were all down doing this these pieces on this bridge. And I do know that Sadie came down and Smash, or maybe it was just Smash, I can't remember. Anyway, so I was like really excited, you know, all these like famous dudes coming down to do this piece. I can't remember what it said. Actually, no, it was... Oh, it was like one of my first tags. Sit, sit. Seek or seep, seep or something, something yeah. like that. Rick did the outline for it because I couldn't do outlines to save my life. Anyway, we're all doing the pieces and then the cops came and we all bolted and left the paint there. But us, you know, I think I left, it was in my school bag with my name on it and then the cops brought the paint back, right, later on <laughs> to my house. They just said, look, here's the paint back, just don't paint the bridge. So I was like, and I got, of course, in trouble from my parents for that. And, you know, and then I remember my dad, I, I said, I really want to do a piece, but I, I, start, I still think I was only about 14, you know, I was pretty young and my parents back then were, you know, relatively, you know, protective and they didn't want me going out, you know, running around on the streets and stuff, even though I was starting to do it. Um, and my dad said, all right, we'll get this over and done with. And he took me down to the local scout hall and he said, we're going to do a piece, right? at night time and of course he's standing there you know I don't know what time it was it was I think I remember it was summer it was warm and he's just standing there drinking beers 
And I did a piece, I can't remember what it said, C's. It was a C's piece. And I'd copied... It's not a bad first take. No, no, no. But I, I, I remember, I must have had a copy of Subway Art by then because I remember copying a Dondi, one of the Dondi pieces or something, right? Uh, it was fucking terrible. It had like this half armadillo kind of ridiculous kind of character and I was like, it was lots of, I remember there was lots of VHT in it because there was lots of VHT around the area, lots of auto shops and stuff. Anyway, I'm doing this like shit piece and then some guy walks past like, oh, what are you doing? My, just, my dad just said, look, just fuck off, you know, just go away because he was, you know, it's a bit of a kind of staunch guy and anyway we finished the piece and it was a piece of shit and uh and and i guess yeah that was kind of it but the idea from my parents was like okay we'll let you do this once and we'll, we'll come along with you and that's the end of it as if right yeah I mean. <laughs> uh so anyway um then uh somehow I, I can't remember how all this unfolded but i think i was just starting to kind of get actually it would have been about 1980 1987. Then I then then I got a wall uh, in in Dar- uh, in uh, shit, in Darabin, which was on the back of a marine place. And I did uh, probably my first real piece. Again, Rick was really the the engineer of it. He did the outline. Um, the thing is with Rick, Rick hadn't done a lot of pieces. Didn't Rick really didn't do that many pieces, but he was extremely talented. You know, mm. he had an amazing original style, and he's sadly someone that didn't really do a lot. Uh, but anyway, we did a cover-up piece, and the idea was like, you know, oh, it's a cover-up, you know, like kind of like that. So we did this cover-up piece. It was a sick piece, you know, like my first real piece on the line, even though it was legal, whatever. Um, and it became, I think, a reasonably, you know, famous piece on the line for for, for its time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, I guess, the kind of start of it. And then a bit later on, I did a, like, duet piece, which I met um, new to uh, Paris, uh, Peril, and new to did a tour piece. Uh, Paris did a chime. Peril did a sus, I think. And I think Tame might have been there too. I can't remember. And I did a duet piece. Everyone had finished and then everyone just had to run off, right? And my piece was done in uh, candy apple uh, VHT, which was almost like a metallic shit purple and a VHT white. And unfortunately, I never got it finished, right? And everyone's like, oh, let's go. Let's run off. And I just wrote, you know... Uh, duet shot in the back because everybody just kind of bailed on me and uh, sick uh, gave me shit about that and bias just for the rest of my life ever ever since when we were young be like oh I shot the back so anyway so that was my first real foray out onto the lines with like writers that were already reasonably well established you know they've been around for quite a few years so Mm. yeah so now, now you've you got out there, you've met a few people, you're starting to get a few pieces on the lines yeah. um, around your local area. Yeah. Like, um, do you like then move further down the line and start like becoming a sort of a more of a figure within the uh, Melbourne graffiti, graffiti scene? Or? Well, I, I, I think, um, as I said before, you know, I, I was absolutely fascinated and and you know enthralled by all of it it was just amazing as i said earlier it was something new exciting people were experimenting doing all this amazing 
stuff like I said especially in the early days it was really very um, naive kind of you know it was like space and the future and electro and wizards and you know this kind of stuff um, so I think you know I as I said before with Rick you know I had a good exposure and then I started to meet more people you know then I met people like Dusk and his brother out in Camwell I met like Clue you know um, I met Tame you know um, uh, you know, I remember, um, you know, meeting like Catch down at like the Richmond car park, you know, um, who was, who, who was in the USA crew who, who also wrote Sires, you know, um, and then of course all the people on, on the Hursty line, like Pudgy and Coma and Jewel and, and then you had Pest, you know, from Epping line and Wisp and Spy and it just goes on forever. I mean, um, so I, I guess I just was you know, just a natural kind of, you know, interest and a natural drive pushed me out. I remember even like my, probably one of my first trips, uh, I went up the Frankston line and I met Saipan, you know, uh, who at that time was riding Prank. And, you know, this was very early on, you know, and I, he, he took me on the train and we just looked at all of his pieces and I was just blown away, you know. So, um, so yeah, I guess by around about 19, you know, like things really were, Got, got kind of started getting pretty intense like you know things started in 84 85 you started seeing a lot of pieces 86 was a huge year 87 was even bigger you know crews really crews really started kind of becoming more um established um but i guess uh, you know around like 88 um i think there was a lot of hype around like DMA crew, you know, DMA crew was the cool crew. Everybody was in DMA that they were the shit, you know? Um, and they were definitely, you know, uh, extraordinary, you know, they were the, I guess the leaders, you know, at that time, because by like 87 USA had kind of, you know, kind of dropped off and they were, you know, they, that them, uh, you know, them and NHA crew and, and I guess TMM, I mean, all of these things cross over. It's hard to really explain it all in, you know, exact time frames. Um, you know, it was time for something new. And I, I just kind of, I always had a bit more of a, I guess, uh, you know, saw things maybe a bit differently. And I didn't want to, I didn't have aspirations to be in DMA. Maybe I wasn't good enough or whatever, but I wanted to create something of my own. You know what I mean? I wanted our crew that represented our line and our friends, you know? So uh, myself and Puzzle and Zenith started uh, the Wild Child Artist Crew. And of course, you know, we did the, you know, the famous first piece at Clifton Hill, the Wild Child. And then, you know, as time went by, you know, WCA became more of a you know, more of a force, I guess, you know, I, I was kind of getting better at that time. Of course, you know, Puzzle was just going bananas and Pronto and Bias and Punch and, you know, and then people like Reach and Denim got in the crew, NASA, and, you know, things just kind of, you know, d Death, you know, people like that, Paste, uh, Lex Luthor. So, you know, things just kind of, you know, unfolded from there. But I think, um, you know, that, that was, that was the, the idea, you know, was, was something we, you know, we were charged, we wanted to do something new and we wanted to get something new happening. Yeah. And, and like I said, I really just, you know, I just felt like, you know, again, you know, DMA, like full respect to everything they ever did, but you know, I just kind of the, 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 just the hype around, it was like, let's, let's go our own way. You mm. know what I mean? Let's do our own mm. crew. 
Yeah, because sometimes it's like that, isn't it? You wait, you you're aspiring to be like other people or or part of their clique or whatever. Yeah, and it's never going to really happen. So you're better off just starting your own thing, starting your own just thing, going, yeah. and and then you've you actually got ownership over something as well. That's right. You can bring whoever you want into it. You don't have to be like, sorry, mate. You know, that's right. You have to you have to speak to the boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because yeah. I did the same when I was like, you know, heavily into graffiti. I was, I found that I was um, part of crews that I wasn't spending any time with any of these people. And it's right. like, and some of them were overseas and all that. And it's just like, man, this isn't representative of who I am. So I started yep. my own graph crews as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, yeah. of who I was around and what was happening. And it's, you know, yeah, it means more than trying to, I don't know. Fit in somewhere envy else. to be in somewhere else, yeah. you know. It's like, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Work with what you got and be happy for where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're um, like you're well known for like mentoring uh, graph writers in my world anyway, I guess, because I sort of you know you taught me a lot in yeah. my early years. Yeah. And um, like when when you were coming up, did you have people sort of like take you under their wing? Apart from other than the guys you've already mentioned? No, not really. I mean, um. You know, I, I, I think, you know, Bias always said to me, you know, that, that you know, every time I did a new piece, it was always something different, you mm. know. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that, that was always the idea from the start with graffiti. Mm. You know, you've got to be original, you don't copy, you know, other mm. people's stuff. Uh, you've got to have your own style, you know, mm. and certainly that's something that, um, you know, I think when I started out, I kind of tried, you know, to do stuff maybe that was a little bit more of the current style but even my really early stuff the stuff that you know like some of the i did like a doex piece like uh in eltham and i did heaps of pieces around there but the other thing is i always use you know the idea of a single identity also bored the shit out of me so i always had different tags and i used to have books at home of tags and people used to come to me and asked me for tags because I had all these, you know, like I was obsessed with, you know, English at school and vocabulary and grammar. So a lot of people, I'm not going to say who because I want to kind of say, well, so-and-so got this tag off me and mm. this and that. It's not really important, but that's something that I was kind of pretty well known for around my neighborhood and amongst my peer group. Um, you know... So, so yeah, I mean, there was, there was that part of it, like always using it, you know, I, I can't remember how many tags I've had. I mean, only a couple of them have been kind of relatively, you know, important, but I did a lot of pieces with lots of different names, you mm. know? Um, yeah, but I always found that every time you, you switched it up, like the style will switch up with, yeah. the, with the new letters. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, why, why kind of, again, I mean, I said to, I said to, um, I said to somebody, recently someone um that you know actually and and i just said i'm kind of getting you know and i don't have a problem saying this i'm just kind of getting a bit getting sick of graph i mean i've always had a love-hate relationship with graph and i think a lot of people do to some extent especially when they've been in it for 30 years uh, i said well how many times can you how many times can you do the same letters mm. and he turned around and said well just come up with different letters <laughs> right yeah. um so yeah, I mean that's 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 a that's an interesting I guess subject when it comes to graph and it's maybe why some people. But then you look at you know New York guys like Scene. I mean they've been painting Scene forever and they've done a million Scene pieces mm. and it's fine. But um, yeah, but you also see did you know Demon Psycho like that's true. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, but 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Graf has its um, quagmires, you know, in that regard. I think that, um, you know, when it comes to expression through letters, it can be very... Um, I actually coined the term a few years ago, you know, um, you know, uh, say like letter, uh, letter prison or something like that, because you're kind of trapped in a prison, you know, metaphorically speaking, you know, when it comes to letters, because you're just stuck with the same fucking thing over and over. And it, mm. it becomes, I think it becomes a bit stifling, you know. Yeah. Um, that's why it's good to have letters that are versatile like say the letter A like uppercase and lowercase is completely different that's true and like the letter E you can do a few different ways and stuff like that as well yeah. you know yeah. things like that like I, mean, I think you know say like the letter I and the letter O yeah well O is quite versatile I don't know but O's, letter, O's hard though yeah what, Y is oh mate letter Y it's <laughs> <is> a prick <laughs> not much you can you know there's not many different ways you can do it that's you know? right yeah yeah Anyway, um, that's a different subject altogether. Yeah. So getting back to mentorship, like, you know, you mentored a a few people, like myself included. Yeah. Like when when you did that, was that like intentional or was it just like these guys are hanging around and they're not at the level I'm at, so I'm happy to teach them? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I have have to say, you know, and I was actually thinking about this before we, you know, did this interview. Uh, my mother, who, who was a nurse, um, was someone that always, uh, you know, her intrinsic nature was to um, care for other people mm. uh, and to look after people. And she was very, very giving and very generous. And uh, although I have my imperfections, that's a f- philosophy that I always, um, you know, uh, you know, that I always um, tried to live by. Um, and... I think that, you know, I, I, I just had a lot of enthusiasm, as I said before, for, for, for Graf. And especially when I was younger, I had a lot of shitloads of energy, you know, just endless amounts of energy. So um, I think I just always found, you know, excitement in, in what I was doing and I wanted to share that with other people, you know. And if they were wanting to learn and they were interested, then... You know, I still kind of remember with you, you know, I sat down, you'd never done anything. And I said, well, you know, get a graph pad. I still remember that actually quite clearly. And I showed you how to, you know, block up letters and space them properly and start with the basics and try and turn that into your own style eventually because you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, And someone actually, another friend of mine asked me recently, who's closer to my age, he kind of got excited and said, I want to start doing graph. You know, so I did the same thing with him. I sent him a few photos of some tags and... I said, you know, you got to start with the tag and you, you know, you got to try and develop it from here. And he had trouble kind of coming up with a tag. And then we, and then I realized actually talking to him, the complexities of graffiti, because he had these letters that were really hard in a sequence. And that's another thing that, that, that it's all about. It's like, how do you, like, what letters are you using? Like, if you do like a tag like moo, you just got a nightmare on your hands, you know, because <laughs> it's like double O is shit. M double O shit, and you got like you know two circles and two arches on the M. I mean, there's no dynamics. When you look at a a tag like scene, you know that's just full on dynamism in the way that those letters are sequenced together. And there's many tags that you can look at. You know, dust up. Like you know, there's another one. Um, uh, I don't know. uh, You know, disguise or murder or whatever. I mean, they're, they're they're dynamic 
in the way that they're sequenced, in the way the letters move together. But they're also, you know, I mean, that's another subject. Again, it's, you know, the meaning behind the word, you know, and, and in King's Way, we talked about that a lot, about the dynamics of, of your, your name, you know, like, um, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, you, you talk about, um, you know, peril, you know, it's like at your peril, or you talk about, you know, um, uh, brink, you know, you're on the brink of disaster, or you're on the brink of something or whatever. So, but I, I found actually, lately, I've seen some interesting tags, like some guys writing, writing like worlds, and someone else writes human. Mm. And, you know, I, I I've you know I've seen those tags. I'm like you know that's fucking cool, and it, it it's kind of to me those tags are cool because it's it's we're also living in a different world now. We're not living in the dynamic times of the '80s, you know, and the, and the '90s. It's like you know, world human. You know, that's I, I thought that was kind of cool. And when I did see those um, tags, it also when I have seen them around a lot lately, they got me thinking a lot about what this was about at the start and 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 one of the things which you know i probably shouldn't talk about this so early in the interview but i will is now like you know you got people with you know fucking you know a couple of thousand or ten thousand instagram followers and they've got their pieces and they've got this and that but to me again going back to that very early those very early stages it's like you didn't know who these people were you didn't meet them they didn't have an online presence they were just a complete fucking mystery and you had to come up in your imagination and work out well okay so that guy's like tame or whatever like who is that guy and you just see this amazing stuff and i i think that that that's the beauty of it and it's like like i said i see like world and human it's like i don't want to meet these guys i don't even want to know who they are i just like the words and I think, I think in some way, whether, they, whether they've done it deliberately, deliberately or not, it's like in this current age of technological change and, and, and the environment we're living in, that kind of resonate, just resonated with me. Like I said, maybe it's not on purpose, but I just thought that's really kind of cool, you know? Um, so I guess, you know, just, just getting back to, to, you know, your original question about the mentorship, I mean, that, that really, it really was kind of as simple as that, you know? Like I, I was excited about it. I was brought up that way and, and um, you know, it's good to see people, you know, do stuff and then, and then flourish. I mean, like yourself, I mean, you've worked for many years and, and, and have created a career out of, of your art because you've stuck with it, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's the answer to that. <laughs> I, 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 must, I must add in there, though, with your... Um, you know, wanting to give back and nurture people and all that. Yep. You, you've got tough love. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you destroyed me a few times in my early years. Really? What, what, what did I say? Well, I just remember um, you, uh, you know, you go, all right, we, we did pulled out the graph paper. Yep. We marked up letters and all that. And then we went out and you go, all right, you've got to paint 20 pieces in this style before we move on <laughs> to the next one. I remember getting to like 15 and then trying to do like a wild style or something oh, like that. No. And you're just like, you know, he just grilled me. <laughs> like, back to the graph paper. <laughs> That's whack shit. <laughs> you're, think, un- you're undoing everything I've taught you. Oh, God. I, I, think, I think back then I was a lot more... Well, I still am pretty methodical, but but not as methodical as I was then. But yeah. actually, the other thing I was going to say, when, you know, just before we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the you know, the, uh, the, the, the different tags and the names and all that kind of stuff, I think... 
I've realized a bit later in life that very systematic kind of behavior of mine, which a lot of writers have some kind of, you know, um, you know, graffiti writers, you know, have a tendency to be very obsessive people, very extreme personalities, you know, um, and, and very fastidious about what they do and how they do things. Um, but one of the impetuses for us doing, um, uh, you know, um, Actually, no, I won't talk about that yet. But uh, I also became fascinated with taking photos very early on. And I got a Pentax camera when I was about 16, I think. And inspired by Subway Art and the idea that things didn't last and you had to capture them before they were gone, I used to, I spent years and years and years, and you know, everybody you know knows I used to do this. I used to catch the train to the end at least once, uh, you know, however long it took every month. I'd go to the end of the Frankston, the Dandenong, you know, Hurstbridge line, the Epping line, and I'd walk. The Dandenong line was the worst because you'd go to, I don't know, those places like Officer or some fucking place up there, and Pack used to do his pieces on these, you know, walls or power stations or whatever. And it would take you like two hours or something to walk from what, just to get one fucking photo. I used to do my head in, in the boiling hot heat or the freezing cold, because I didn't have, a, I didn't, you know, you couldn't ride a bike on train tracks, so you got to walk. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's something that I spent many, many years doing and amassed a, you know, very extensive, um, not the best and not the most extensive, but a very extensive, you know, collection of, of Melbourne graffiti history photos. Mm. Probably by, probably by the, Probably by about the probably the early two thousands, I got sick of it and I stopped because things had changed anyway, and I wasn't interested anymore. So yeah, because yeah. I remember like because didn't you used to like print out doubles and then do trades with other writers and stuff like that? Like so you could get other people's photos too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was you know well actually there's some parts of that that I probably got myself into a bit of trouble too with some people, but I'm not going to talk about that. They know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's something that I think that, I think that's something that, that probably quite a few people did to some extent, but then other people very protective about their photos and they let you the negatives mm. and you got them reproduced and then swapped them or sold them on. Then there was trouble, which, you know, yeah. we won't go into that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like you were mentioning before that, you know, you see these names and you see the style and all that, but you don't, you don't sometimes want to know the person behind it and, but oftentimes you would end up meeting them. Yeah. Like, like, were there a lot of characters that you met and, like, people that were just like, oh, my God, like, you're that guy? Or Right, okay. You, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, Prime was somebody who was, you know, certainly a very intense, you know, kind of person. Um, um, pretty wild, like a lot of people were, I guess. Um, but, I mean, I, I was saying to you before, you know, like, the graffiti scene had some pretty... You know, I mean, like Hugh Dunnett, who you've interviewed, was another one. It's like, you know, no one really knew who he was. He was doing these kind of weird, like almost Picasso type kind of, you know, things on, on like power boxes on the lines and stuff. And But it was cool because it was it was like a, you know, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Dunnett, who, who done it, you know, it was mm. kind of mysterious. But because he did weird stuff as well, it added to the mystery. You know, I was like, who is this crazy guy, you mm. know? Um and I think, you know, someone like Jive was another one. He did these, you know, most of his pieces, probably around about 87 or something, were all green. They were all in these weird greens and they were all like this weird, swirly, abstract circles and, and, and like, 
uh, triangles and squares, and it was it was you know they were really interesting pieces. You know, um, he was he was a pretty loose kind of dude as well. But you know, again, I think um, uh, I, I think that when I first saw this saw this, I mean, I guess the other thing worth mentioning is the Three Wise Kings, which was done. Uh, by the Future Four crew, it was one of the most famous graffiti crews in Melbourne history, and they did a piece on the uh, on the Glen Ferry Power Station that said the Three Wise Kings, and that was that was printed in the Herald Sun newspaper. They did an, a, a, an interview with them, and it was Prime Disguise. Actually, sorry, it was Prime Style Nineteen, Astro Gazza Thirty Seven, GS Thirty Eight, and I think J. And maybe Snowy. Like I always get can't ever remember who the fourth member was, but it was either I think a Snowy or or or, or Murder. But anyway, um, but then it was like you didn't see their faces, you know. And 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 that article was called Night Riders, and that article just it was like this fucking stuff's crazy. Who are these guys with these coded names? You know, like AG thirty seven, Astro Gazer thirty seven. You know, it's like, and again, you know, if you go back to those times, it's like. There wasn't, a, you know, they weren't writing really. It was like PS19, you know, mm. AG. It's like there was really, things were like done in codes, you know, and that's like, to me, that's 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 it going even further underground. It's not even one word anymore. It's just like a couple of, you know, a couple of letters and a couple of numbers, you know, almost like a, someone in the commando forces or something, you know, mm. like it's underground as it gets. And, and again, you saw the article, but you didn't see their faces. And you go past this, this fucking, ama- and it really was amazing for the time. It was like the three wise kings with this crazy character with a crown. I was like, this shit's just fucking mad, you know. Yeah. So, I think that ethos going back to New York as well, where where you know the trains would run, there were all these you know mysterious names, and no one knew who they were, you know. So that's that's the beauty of it, and I think that's something that, um, that that you know is is very important and i think that a lot of this kind of instagram profiling stuff i'm, I'm i wouldn't say it's bad but i think it kind of homogenizes things to a certain extent you know because a lot of the mist some of the some of the mystery and the ease of communication has kind of um diluted it you know to some extent yeah but yeah. that's another conversation the whole instagram um you know stuff maybe we can talk about that later but yeah yeah do you have, like you mentioned um, like world and human before. Yeah. Like, do you have any favourites from now? Oh, uh, yeah. I think I think Accused does very, uh, very like. I think he's like really on the money. You know. You know. I. You know. I think. I think. I think like like his style has like really, um, um, really developed and and I think just the, the it's very. Uh, what's the word? It's very, um, it's very detailed. Like it's very concise. Like the way he paints, you can just see it's kind of been perfected. Mm. And I think he's very original too. I think, I think, I think, um, yeah, I think he's really good. I like a lot of this trash graph that's kind of going around. Yeah. This kind of like shit stuff that's kind of deliberate. Like I don't know if they're just shit or. <laughs> or whether they're trying to just do trashy stuff, but I like that stuff. I think Can't it's work out if they're shit or amazing, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that stuff. I think that's kind of cool. Um, but let me think. I mean, I really like um, Pre Accusers, mate. Pre. 
Yeah, I've seen a couple oh. of couple of his pe- yeah. actually I like Putos I think he's yeah. I think Putos right you know that, that, yeah, I know yeah. yeah I, th- I think I don't know I always look for originality I think I think you know not to be negative but I think a lot of style these days again because of Instagram like everything's kind of morphed into each other you know you've got this retro kind of like New York's like kind of 60s and 70s style which has kind of been, you know, reworked. And then, you know, I mean, you know, like I said, it's, it's, everyone, people do what they want. But I think to see something that's actually truly original, someone's style that's not really, even that's, that's really hard now, mm. you know, to, to see something because, because now we have, you know, um, you know, we have internet or Instagram based, um, you know, uh, styles, you know, whereas in the past it wasn't like that. You had a couple of pieces in New York or LA or whatever, but now it's like this, you know, this is a style. But I mean, I don't know, like that to me, that's just a phenomenon in, in itself. Like when, when the, you know, when, when the internet came out and when, um, when, especially when Instagram came out, things just changed beyond measure. Uh, and, and now the, 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 the changes in style and and the influences are just so um, it's just so fucking full on and it happens so fast that you almost can't keep up with it mm. anymore. You know, um, it's like it's like MSK, like when they came out in the early two thousands or whatever it was, Rivok and and um, Retina and all those guys, like they were doing a whole new style that you'd never ever seen before. Mm. This is remarkable stuff, but then. Before you knew it, one or two years later, like all that style started just showing up all over the world and it wasn't done particularly well. Mm. And you still see remnants of it now, you know? So things just kind of, you know, much like the internet itself, which is this endless kind of highway of different, you know, um, different lines of communication and the world, you know, the literally a web going everywhere. Graffiti has almost become like that, you know, yeah. globally. Yeah. So. Because I remember when, like, before I ever went overseas, I was, you know, always taught to do Melbourne style, whatever, yep. whatever that, they, whatever, that, that, was. Is, that <laughs> whatever that is, you know. Yeah. But it's like a certain approach to graffiti that everyone sort of did in Melbourne. Yeah. And then I, I remember going over to Europe pre-internet and being so blown away with, mm. with what I was seeing and yep. the, the guys I was hanging out with and seeing a completely different approach to actually how they would actually paint their pieces and all that. But this is pre-internet, right? This is pre-internet. Yeah. So then I remember. Um, I remember like I spent like, nearly three years in Europe and then came back and I had I'd evolved my style in that time. So I'd done a lot of work as well. Like I'd been sketching every day and painting yep. as much as possible. Yep. So then I came back and I had like a new new twist on my style and everything. And I remember getting slated for it. Like, <laughs> it's this fucking Euro shit, you know, this and that, da 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 da. And it's funny because now I look at it and it was quite it's quite tame compared to the styles, the European styles that are being emulated in Melbourne these days. Mm. It's it's funny. I just remember just getting oh scolded over it. It's yeah, like, right. why don't you do the old stuff? It's like because I've done that. You know? Yeah, it's exactly. Like I'm trying to move forward here. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I think that's a good point because. Yeah. Again, pre-internet, you you know, you'd, you'd have pieces from Germany, mm. you have pieces from from England, you'd have pieces from um, you know, uh, you know, well, from different parts of the states, um, different parts of Europe, you know, French styles or whatever. But 
they they were kind of a particular styles that were associated with those you know those countries or those cities mm. um you know and i think something i really wanted to 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 kind of touch on was bando you know and the chrome angels who were like the pioneering you know number one crew in in london you know, they had a particular style, like bando style and stuff. And now you see it; it's it's like it's made a full. It's like it's it's a style now. Yeah. But that's been going on for like it's been coming and going for like twenty or thirty years. But now dudes do full pieces in that style, like these guys. Those guys, um, and I love their stuff. Um, uh, TCK crew, those guys in in Hamburg, tough 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 city kids, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. a b boy and all that sort of stuff. Is that those guys? Um, no, it's a Drick the villain and uh, Drick the villain and, and Nomad and and oh, yeah, and the, those guys, yeah, yeah. you know. So, but they've also, you know, they they've taken that style and they've used it, but they've also kind of reinvented it. So now you've got this kind of like future, you know, like Bando and that were doing like a futuristic style then. So now we've almost gone like... Now in the future, it's retro. Yeah, you know, yeah, f- yeah, future retro. Or future retro future. I don't know yeah. which fucking way it goes. But yeah, but yeah it's, 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 that's, what's, that's a really cool part of it. Yeah. You, know? like, you can't just turn around and say, well, everything's kind of impure because the internet's kind of bastardized it all, I suppose. There is, unfortunately, I think, as I said before, a lot of dilution and homogenization. Mm. But there's also a lot of reinvention at the mm. same time, you know, which is interesting. Yeah. Because uh, things, of course... Um, they can't stay the same. I mean, we, we, we were exposed to graffiti and hip-hop because of media, whether it was um, a, a VHS, a film, or a book. Mm. Now it's just accelerated a billion times faster with the internet. Yeah, so. yeah. So coming on, like, nearly 10 years now yep. ago, like, um, you did a book on, uh, like, the history of Melbourne graffiti from the beginning up to 1990? 1993. 1983 yeah. to 1993. Yeah? Yep. I thought it went up to the 90s, but no. Nah, 93, wrong. to be exact, yep. All right. So uh, how did all that come about? Um, well, as I said, I took photos for half a lifetime or something. Um, and uh, the other guys, um, one of them uh, was, you know, uh, pretty... Uh, you know, foremost uh, designer and art director. Um, and obviously, you know, had quite extraordinary uh, ability to, you know, to, to, to manage and uh, direct the project. Uh, and the other guy um, had, you know, had access to, you know, $250,000 uh, high-end commercial scanners which is why the quality of the book is so good because uh, all the photos were scanned on probably the best scanners that you could get in the country. Um, so, yeah, I guess the, the idea, you know, we'd been talking about it, you know, screwing around with it for, you know, eight years and then, um, you know, the, the guy that did the, you know, the, the project managed it, took two years off work um, and just said, are we going to finish this or are we not going to finish it? So we just said, okay, let's get it done. Um, I must say that, you know, without him, it wouldn't have happened. You know, he really was the driving force behind getting it done. He worked out the, the order of the book, the sequence in which it was going to, to, you know, it was a big, huge, you know, puzzle, I guess, if you like, um, no pun intended, by the way, um, you know, because you had the city square, you had, you know, trains, you had, you know, the, you know, you had the eighties, you had the nineties, you had the crews, you had tags, you had the <clears throat> gas works, 
you know, you had the abattoirs, you had all of this information and thousands and thousands of photos to try and, you know, disseminate how it would actually work. Um, so, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, um, you know, I'll say this on the record, you know, that, that, that it was really, you know, his, um, his management skills that, that got it done. Um, and yeah, I think starting out again with the photo, you know, collection, but in the end, uh, I think still quite a reasonably substantial amount of my photos were, were in the book, but we still ended up going and interviewing everybody we put, that was relevant and getting their photo collections and then choosing the best photos, you know, to put in it. We actually had enough material to do two books, but, you know, limitations, it was already way too big and obviously limitations, you know, with the publishers and what is actually viable, um, you know, ended up um, governing, you know, what, what, how much we could actually include in the content. Um, so yeah, you know, that was, that was the, the idea for the book. I did a lot of the creative writing uh, for it, interviews, um, but we all kind of shared, you know, um, bits and pieces. We didn't do any of the design, of course, um, but, uh, well, I'm saying me and the other guy didn't do any of the design. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it, you know, I'm very proud of the book, you know. Um, I think it's one of the most important, not just on graffiti, but I think, you know, it's one of the most important kind of books on Melbourne youth history. And one of the only, you know, the only other books I've really ever seen are like books on the Sharpies, uh, a couple of books on like the Melbourne punk scene and things like that. But I think this is one of the most kind of comprehensive um, uh, documents, if you like, of, you know, a, a, a very important time in Melbourne when it was, you know, really just a kind of a, a backwater city, you know, it was, you know, that wasn't what it is now. I mean, you know, we were still, you know, as we say in the book, you know, and I always whinge about this, you know, house prices were very affordable. You could live almost anywhere in Melbourne unless you were, you know, the only... I had a conversation with someone a little while ago. There was only two suburbs that were really wealthy back then, and that was really just Brighton and Turak. That's it. it Maybe South Yarra, but really most other su suburbs, unless you lived in kind of a mansion or something, or one of those crazy big, you know, kind of um, colonial homestead type places, um, you know, it was very much working class. You know, the North was working class, all Northcote, Preston, Fitzroy, Collingwood, especially Collingwood, which is now just, you know, crazy expensive and very hipster. Um, and all right up, you know, to all the way up to Oakley and places like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, we were we were living in a very different city. And as I said, a lot of the original kind of industries, you know, were still kind of there in the 80s. You had all these old tailors and, um, you know, a lot of the industrial places. I remember, you know, a place that we used to love was called the, uh, the Dye Works, which was in West Garth, which you just get a lot of pieces on it. But it, you know, there was this bit more of a, I guess, a um, romantic kind of, uh, you know, um, working class city, you know, mm -hmm. which is obviously, you know, it, it, it's, the buildings are still there, but, you know, I think a lot of that, um, you know, we're just going through the biggest, I think someone said the biggest development in the last 10 years than we've ever seen in Melbourne's history. It's just absolutely out of control. Everybody wants to live here. The government's tightening, tightening up regulations to try and slow down the intake of, uh, you know, people living, especially in Melbourne, which is, I think, by 2040, I can't remember, is going to eclipse Sydney as the most populated city in the country. And obviously, we're building all this infrastructure to keep up with it. So, you know, anybody getting older, 
you know, like our parents say, oh, well, things aren't the same as what they used to be, you know, but that's just, that's, that's progress. You know, mm-hmm. things have to change. Um, um, and whether you like it or not, that's, that's the way it is. But because I remember saying to my dad when I was younger, it's like he, um, you know, cause he bought up in the hills, like Belgrave way. Yep. And I remember saying, why don't you buy like, you know, like, uh, Collingwood or, or, you know, Fitzroy or I don't mm-hmm. know, just start really in Richmond and I start reeling off all these suburbs. Yep. It's like in the seventies, you wouldn't want to buy there. Yeah, he's like they weren't they weren't desirable places that's to slums. live. He goes, they are now, but he goes, yeah, that was slums back then. Yeah, and he's like, that's why, um, you know, they they built all the uh, commission housing and that to sort of because the commission housing came in as a blessing for them. I did research on this when I did an art project, right? And um, yeah, and I watched these videos at the museum about people being interviewed who were living in the slums and then went got moved into the commission housing. Really, I didn't know it that. It was amazing. They said. Wow. They said, well, they, because the slums were one bedroom mm-hmm. with a lounge room. So you didn't have any, like, you mean like peri- these kind of miners' cottages, the little yeah, ones yeah, yeah. in Rowan Carlton and that kind of yeah. stuff? Yeah. So they'd have one one bedroom. Yeah. So the, the parents would sleep in the lounge room and the kids would get the bedroom or vice versa. Right. They had no running water. They had a backyard tap. Yeah. And that was the only running water in the house and no heating. Right. So they'd have to, you know, all the fireplaces were being used. And they said for, um, when they got moved into the commission housing, it was a godsend for them. They had like three bedroom flat. Yeah. And they said that they, he's, this guy being interviewed said one of the things that him and his sister used to spin out on is I'd turn the tap on and hot water would come out. <laughs> and they said they'd never experienced that. Yeah, and I'd wow. just stand there just playing with it. But then they'd go down and play in the, the play, the, the swings and slides <clears> and all that. Yep. And all the other kids from the neighborhood were all there. Uh-huh. It was like, place to hang out they it, said was, it was it was the new cool place it was it was a dream yeah you look at it now and it's like it's hard to sort of think that in today's you know this day and age yeah but, right but in the 60s when they were built they were a godsend right yeah yeah interesting yeah, yeah and if it. you look they're all in the best areas in town you know yeah. well, they are, well they are now but they weren't yeah. then right no 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 not at yeah. all not at all yeah interesting yeah, yeah anyway interesting. bit of history for you <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned in the early days you were you know really uh, taken by electronic music. With your um, style, it's always been a bit futuristic and electric. It matches that sort of type of music. Was right. there any sort of like link between them? Um, not. I, I wouldn't say specifically for you know in that regard. I mean, you know, I guess back when we were younger, we were doing certain things. You know, um, much like guys in New York were, but maybe different types of things or. Doing mind-expanding activities, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, so, no, like I said to you, I mean, I think my, you know, it was just, there was just always a drive to want to do something that different, you know, and weird. You know, I always try to do kind of stuff that was a bit weird or, you know, hadn't been done. I did like blobby stuff, I think, in like the, probably the late... 90s you know maybe 98 99 and then i kind of saw that later become a more a bit more of a style nothing to do with me but it was just something that kind of naturally progressed that way but you know i guess in regards to um what you know you're you know talking about electro and music and stuff i think that um you know i think the interesting thing that was happening as i said around the start you know um, which obviously changed in the 90s. Hip-hop became, you know, hip-hop as a music became hip-hop, rap hip-hop. You know, you had like, you know, KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane and Tough Crew and Ultramagnetic MCs and all this kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, which was, you know, which was interesting, but that was more hardcore rap, hardcore hip hop, you know, which I loved and we all did. But before that, you know, you had, well, or maybe just before that, you know, you had more electro, like I said, stuff like, uh, you know, you had Planet Rock from Africa Bombarda, you know what I mean? You had uh, Clear by Cybertron, you know, uh, Africa Bombarda was doing, you know, uh, Planet Rock um, with the Soul Sonic Force yeah. in New York. That was, a you know, that kind of electro style, which was sampled from Kraftwerk. Then you had Clear, which was obviously Cybertron, which was Detroit. And I think Cybertron, I think actually... Clear came out before Planet Rock. I think Planet Rock was 84 and I think Clear was 83. Um, and then, of course, you had like uh, Hashim the Soul. Um, you had, I'm um, just trying to think now, you know, you had um, Mantronics, right? So, you know, there was there was more of a, I think back then it was, was more, you know, hip hop. Not It wasn't hip hop, it was just electro. And it was like, you know, these futuristic beats. And the pieces that were co- that were coming out at the start were a reflection of that. That wasn't really, again, by the '90s, everybody's wearing Air Max. They're, they're you know watching. They're, they're into BDP. You know, KRS ones. You know, on Criminal Minded cover, decked out in this mad gear with you know leather outfits, sick Air Max, and that really, you know, the guns came out, and and you know the 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 the, the B that you know the the dynamic kind of like B boy you know, became more of a, a certified kind of thing, you know, and I think graffiti style followed that. And the music followed that as well. Of course, until we got to like, whenever it was, 89, when, you know, when NWA came out and, you know, you had like full-blown, you know, hardcore gangster rap and LA gangs and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, that 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 kind of that futuristic, you know, thing is something that that has always stayed with me, and it's something that has all it's still to this day. I still listen to techno. I still listen to electro. You know, um, again, I think in the early nineties, you know, you know, probably one of the, the the biggest influences on me has always been Underground Resistance, which which was a, a second generation pioneering, um, you know, techno outfit that came out of Detroit, which was uh, Jeff Mills and Mike Banks. And, you know, a lot of people from our generation, you know, know these people and used to go and see Jeff Mills DJ at raves, you know, when they were younger. But I still listen to their music and, and you know, I think that the, you know, this, this concept of the underground is something that is probably, you know, the most important thing you know that is associated with the culture it's an underground culture it's it's supposed to stay underground and this futuristic kind of you know it's hard to kind of really um kind of put into you know concisive you know words but uh yeah i think i think that that's something that definitely still drives me you know that kind of like that future vision um and 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 the music obviously you know this you know it 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 drives it you know and like i said to you before i think a lot of a lot of uh, we've definitely seen a resurgence in it you know everybody's doing this like you said you know this this kind of retro future is 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 back again you know because it's so exciting people are referencing like sci-fi stuff from the 70s and um yeah i just i you know really 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 like that stuff so cool yeah all right, Joanne, I'm going to hit you with some uh, rapid-fire questions. All right, hit me. All right. Hit me hard. <laughs> um, name one artist you think deserves more shine. 
Oh, jeez. Me. You. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to do the work, eh? Well, that's true. That's true. Yes. In the words of Ben Shuri, you got to earn your own shine. That's true. You got to work hard for it. That's true. Um, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Um, airbrush, actually. That's something that I've always, again, been fascinated with, I suppose, because a lot of that old kind of sci-fi art was done in airbrush. Um, yeah, just something I've never really taken up. Um, and yeah, probably, probably also, uh, you know, um, oil paint and, you know, more paintbrush orientated stuff would be cool. But yeah, that's obviously a pretty big undertaking and not really. Go buy some brushes. <laughs> something to paint with. Well, it's just a bit daunting, I guess. I've been using yeah. spray paint for like 30 odd years and, and that's a comfortable medium for me. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's always good to, to break out of that. True. Yeah. I do it all the time. And, oh, mate, it's just, you feel like you're retreating back to the comfort zone, but um, you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, what's one skill you wish you had? Uh, to be a better athlete, to be honest. That's, that's kind of it. I work out a lot and that's something I work hard at. And um, yeah, that's a skill that, that is constantly developing and I, 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 I wish I was a bit better at. Yeah. Um, do you have a favourite artist? Uh, I think I follow a lot of like fine art stuff, like kind of expressionistic kind of stuff, like boring stuff on Instagram, like kind of, you know, flower fields and, you know, like not colonial, but kind of old, you know, just like girls picking flowers or something, you know, I really like that kind of stuff. Um, um, I think I really, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about graph, I've always admired revs. Or Revlon, you know, um, Costin Revs, Revs, Costin Revs, Revs. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was a, he was a, he was a nut, you know. And I think that, I think that, um, actually, this is something that now I've got the opportunity that I wanted to talk about. You know, Revs, you know, in in the outtakes of Star Wars, you know, he goes down into the, you know, they do a clip on him, and he he goes down into the subway tubble, tunnels, and as he said, I just went out down there and I just wrote shit. You know, he just wrote all of this shit about stuff that was happening in his life. And I think he did something like 300 of them or something. And they're deep down in the, in the subway, you know, in the, in the tunnels. Um, and I think that, you know, I, see, I think something that's missing, uh, and, and this is a very extensive subject, which we don't have time to go into, but um, I think that seeing something new like that was done then you know like like i said like revs people always talk about banksy banksy had value when he came out he was a great conceptual thinker and did great work but you know what that was fucking like 20 years ago you know what i mean like banksy's done and i always look at this stuff i remember after banksy you know camo showed me this guy kid alt or kid or something right and he was going around bombing with fire extinguishers, doing huge kid tags on the front of Chanel stores and shit like that. And then of course, Supreme ended up employing him to just bomb the front of their shop. So the value was gone, right? And I just look at things these days and I think who's doing something in the in the vein of, you know, anarchy or underground that's actually like doing something inventive. And I don't, I haven't seen anything for a long time you know, that, that, that fits that, uh, framework, you know, you don't, you, you know, you see the same thing over and over and over and over. You see like 
10 million bloody, you know, murals around the world with girls' faces and pretty pictures and you see like 10 million graph pieces, the same thing. But where, 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 you know, but where is someone like Revs and where is someone like Banksy doing something that's pioneering that really means something different? And, and, and I haven't seen anything in a very long time that, that represents that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Oh. But I'm sure, I'm sure they're out there. There's a lot of people doing stuff. Yeah, There's people doing good stuff. Yeah, so, I, no, I don't yeah. mean that. I don't mean that in like a, a negative yeah. way. I just mean it in like, you know, like I said, I, I often will end up at a bar talking to someone, and somehow like you know, graffiti art or street art will come up, and they always just go on about Banksy. And it's like, come, can, can we talk about something else? Like, mm-hmm. what's what's new? You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of done anyway. Yeah. That's because you're talking to the wrong person. Is it? Well, I don't know. If Banksy keeps coming up, they must be pretty ill-informed. If but, that's but, all I can think. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but I still think I still think that I still think you know whether you want to talk about street art or graffiti art, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, he really still is. A, but I guess it's because of his fame, right? I mean, because he's in galleries and yeah. and this and that and the other. But but I, I still think like what was that? Oh, the, yeah, the thing, the shredded, the, the shredder, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like. But still, you saw that and it's like, and I think that was genuine. I don't think the people at Sotheby's were in on that. No, nah, not at all. You know, and it's like, fuck, that's fucking cool. You know, like, yeah. so maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's not the right thing to say. You know, because that guy is. What was that last year? Yeah, he's still you know, doing shit. He's still thinking, you know, how to sabotage this bullshit world. I'm sure he doesn't throw his money away, right, when he's mm. given a million bucks. But um, he's still thinking. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, I actually, you know, I will say though that. Something interesting I saw recently on Instagram was Puzzle did, um, you know, he's a thinker, you know, and he did like, obviously he's found some some abandoned uh, concrete mixes, right, in some yard somewhere. And and he's done like a, a P-U-Z-L-E. And, you know, knowing the way that he sees things, you know, he's planned it out. So he's he's seen the concrete mixes and he's worked out the whole schematic of how it's going to work, you know, and he's done the little character up the back, which is looking at, he's worked out how the photo is going to look and letters contour around the shape of the actual cement mixer, you know? So even though it's not like, um, even though it's not like, you know, it's not a Banksy concept, like in that, in that kind of context, it's still taking things, you know, uh, in, you know, looking at things in a conceptual way, yeah, you know, which I think is very, which is still very interesting. Yeah, and he did the arrow things. The arrow. Oh yeah, the yeah the the directional DNA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that was interesting too. I mean, it's you know, I guess it's uh, something that maybe people always knew but never really kind of could put it into a into in, in, into a format. So yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it's good to see him do it though, because it's so because he's always you know so headstrong about style and. Mm. colors and all this sort of stuff but it was so he's, stripped back for him he's, like, yeah he's thought it look yeah. I, I guess the other person maybe but it's different is delta who's doing who does those uh whatever they are coal coal cars or something you know the ones the mm. red ones yeah he must have done like fucking ten thousand of them or something you know but every i saw one the other day it was like a delta with like a like a, a wire like a barbed wire with the letters going along the bar. and it's like every time you see it it's different you know mm-hmm. it's like it's extraordinary that, that, that someone can keep just pumping out the same I mean doing it on the same surface but a different idea every time you know and again I think that's that's what it's about you know like when you're doing like graph or whatever it's like it's you, people 
you know, you keep doing fucking a million pieces that all look the same, but it's like, where is the, you know, where is the contrast and, and, you know, the uniqueness in the idea where people look at it and they go, oh, wow, you know, that's, wow, how, how did you, like you said, like the directional DNA. It's like, cool, that's a, that's a pretty interesting concept, right? So, um, yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's really important. Yeah. And so, um, not that you're doing a lot of art these days, mm. but if you had like a dream project, what would it be? Um, I don't think I would have a, you know, I, I just want, you know, I started actually, I, I was, you know, I was kind of out of a job, you know, a few months ago and I was really frustrated and I just thought, you know, I didn't want to do any pieces because I'm just kind of, I get, I mean, I, I kind of wouldn't mind doing one at the moment, but I just, as I said, I mean, you know, it's doing pieces has kind of run its course to a certain extent with me and I, I don't really I don't really get a hell of a lot out of it for me because like I said to you before the confinement of letters um, it, it, it's it, it, I find it a bit restrictive for mm. me personally um, so I went back to stuff that I was doing in the 90s when I was hanging out with you guys and I started trying to recreate um, you know, try and go back to that more, um, I guess, you know, deep dimensional stuff that I was doing, you know, um, and I did a few pieces, which I posted on Instagram, but, um, you know, I'm back at work now and it's kind of fallen by the wayside, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it you know, it, I was pretty happy with what I did. Um, and I think I could take it a lot further, but I need time and, you know, paint and the rest of it. And as you know, you know, being an artist, it's pretty hard to almost impossible to be doing a full-time day job and, you know, having time to do art at the same time. So, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I fucking did it for years. Man. <laughs> okay. like, well, yeah, you've got to, you got to, you got to have the motivation. you got to have the motivation. And yeah. if you don't have the motivation, don't bother. It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, when I got into it, it was, I was really enjoying it. You know, it was a challenge. It was, it was pissing me off, you know, cause it was hard. Um, and, um, uh, but yeah, I was, I was, pretty happy with some of it so, so what's your dream project to have a massive exhibition I, you know what you know what i actually one day i would like to have an exhibition but I, and i've often thought about that because i've got a lot of the, like i said I did, I did a lot of work a lot of just artwork you mm. know in the 90s lots of it and i've still got lots of it a lot of it's drawings and stuff it's not really paintings but uh at the same time it's very 90s you know kind of mm. stuff so again i i mean i still have the the, the drive so yeah i guess you know, you need. A, I just need to get paint and get more canvases and just just keep hacking away at it. I guess. Yeah. 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 And um, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh shit. <laughs> uh, advice I'd give to my younger self is to is to have faith in yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Um, be kind to yourself and. And, you know, just keep the faith and don't be self-destructive. That would be the advice I would give to my younger self. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And um, so if anyone wanted to check out your work, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, well, you can just go onto my Instagram page, which is uh, the, the handle is uh, D-O-E-N-S-Z. Uh, there's a lot of photos of my cats on there, but... Um, and kind of you know just bits and pieces of stuff but sunsets and things like that sunsets and clouds and hippie shit like that yeah which, which i love taking photos of but yeah there's a some of the some of the couple of my pieces i haven't done many pieces in the last couple of years i did one last year i think was it or early this year last year 
and I did one the year before that. So I've done hardly any pieces in the last few years. But you need to get your old photos up there. No, I'm not. I've, I've, I've put a couple of the old ones up there, but I I don't know. Like I've had a few too many beers. I have a tendency to kind of be annoying and just kind of pull out the photos and post a few things. But um, but I'm not really a fan of relishing in the past. You know, like it's again things have got to be. You got to get you got to get it moving. Yeah, and you got to do new stuff. You know, you can't keep going. Oh well, check me out, and I'll do these fresh pieces in 1989. I mean, fucking, who cares? I mean, it's it's actually. Uh, I think that's what the people want to see from you, not not what the sunset oh, looks yeah. down, like down the beach. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> you know, they, like I said, they can have a look at some of the stuff I did. You know, around Jan or whatever it was, December, January. I can't remember November, December, January or something. Um, uh, but in terms of. Um, that's what I was going to say. Aim said to me um, a, while, a little while ago that uh, a cue said to him, um, you're only as good as your last piece, hmm. right? And I, I think, you know, nothing could be truer than that. I mean, you you, you got to do, doesn't matter how good your pieces were 10 years ago or your art was, it's like, you know, what are you doing now, you know? Hmm. Uh, and, and I think, you know, like I said, for, you know, I think for, for younger people as well, I think that's, 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 you know, that's the drive. You can't, as soon as you become, um, as soon as you become, what's that word? Um, stagnant. No, uh, well, it's stagnant. As soon as you become complacent yeah. and you give yourself a pat on the back about how good you are, then there's no more challenge left. There's always got to be a challenge. And contrary to what I just said, you do have to be hard on yourself to a certain extent or you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't be just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is cool. It's like, you know, you want to break new ground. You've got to push yourself and you've got to, you got to really, you know, push yourself to, to, to do something new mm. and original. Mm. You can't, I mean, that's my opinion. You can't just keep doing, you know, the same kind of thing. Otherwise, it's, I don't know. I mean, things run their course and things run out, you mm. know. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been good. See ya. Okay, bye. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk or go to the website benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode.